I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the amazing episode seven of Beauty Bosses. I'm here with Brett Heyman. Say hi. Hi. Brett, as you all know, is the founder and creative director of Edie Parker, which is one of my personal favorite fashion lifestyle brands. You probably have seen these little clutch handbags everywhere. I feel like every celebrity carries them to every single event. But the company is so much more than handbags. It's branching into lifestyle, accessories, vintage-inspired looks, um, and I can't wait to hear all about it. Thank you. That's a very nice introduction. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. So, Brett, I wanted to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about your origin story, because you were working in PR and fashion for many years, and then all of a sudden now, today, you're this amazing entrepreneur fashionista. So tell us how you got from A to B. Okay. Well, first of all, I don't know how amazing I am, but I appreciate it. Um, a She's to B. really amazing. She's just saying that. No, no, I have no false modesty. Um, well, I think that I had always wanted to be in design and wanted to do something creative, but I didn't really see the path. Um, I grew up in a home that was, I had very pragmatic parents. So it was not like go be an artist and go scratch that itch. It was much more like, if you want to work in fashion, let's think about what you can do in business and fashion. Um, so I went to school for communications and I studied art history as well. And I figured out that I could perhaps get a job in a PR department and work in fashion. So I got a job at Gucci kind of almost right after I graduated. I worked there for a long time. I went to Dolce & Gabbana and then back to Gucci. And the experience really just taught me so much that I would never would have known if I started in design right away because I covered accessories from a very, very unique perspective. And I knew a lot of editors, I knew a lot of stylists, I knew buyers. So by the time, and I had a paycheck. So by the time I was really ready to launch something on my own, I had a little bit of money saved, I had a lot of connections, and I had a unique perspective. Um, and that's really what gave me the courage and the confidence to do it. And that's amazing. But we should point out that there are a lot of people who you know, come into opportunities like that. You certainly are lucky because you had this great Rolodex and great experience, but a lot of people don't take that and run with it and create a huge brand. But right. you did. I did. So oh, yeah. how, what was your spark? What inspired you to start Edie Parker? Um, well, first of all, I think that a little bit on that point, the product really has to be good because I think it doesn't matter how many people you know and, and how many favors you can ask. You have to make a product that doesn't exist, that feels unique, and that is high quality. And for me, I, as I said, I, I covered accessories, but I also was a lifelong collector. So I grew up in California. I went thrifting. Oh, me too. Did you? Yes. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Los Angeles. Same. I think we talked about this. Oh, yeah, we did. We did. Um, and so I went to Melrose almost every weekend. My mom would drop me off before I got my license, sort of like by Fairfax. And then I would say, I'll meet you at the Johnny Rockets at four. And so I would just walk up and down Melrose and go to lots of thrift shops. And I, I romanticize these stories now. I think I had a bit of a hoarding problem and a, like a shopping collecting problem. But I also got a real education because I would research all of the old makers of clothes and bags that I would buy. So I collected handbags and I collected wicker handbags and those old magazine bags and acrylic handbags forever. So I really 
I had a sense of what was missing from bags today. And certainly like this, this passion for collecting combined with my PR experience made me realize that there was no one really focusing on evening as a category other than really mature brands and really ornamented expensive brands. So that was the focus. I knew that there was something missing. I knew that there was a way to do evening in a way that was sort of more youthful and more fun and more irreverent, something that worked well with a gown, but also that would look really cool with jeans. And um, something that kind of borrows from the past while still being a modern totally. brand. Well, it, I mean, those first seasons were completely inspired by the past. And I really felt like there was this art because we talk a lot about this moment when these bags, the original bags were made and it was made, you know, after World War II and it was when America was setting fashion trends globally kind of for the first time. Yeah. And let me just interrupt you for one second and explain to our listeners what we're talking about with these bags. So most of you have already seen them, but if for those of you who have been hiding far away from fashion magazines and TV sets, (laughs) for those of you who've been doing other stuff, um, the bags that we're talking about are the classic, iconic, initial Edie Parker, you know, launch into the fashion world. And these are um, kind of a rectangular, box-shaped acrylic handbag, very 50s-inspired, yeah. vintage-inspired, um, with a little cute clasp at the mm-hmm. top, and really chic with an evening gown or cocktail dress. And um, you often will see... Uh, models and celebs and public figures carrying these little cute bags and me soon I'm getting mine um carrying these little cute bags and they'll be custom you know bespoke engraved and um with with a cute little word or their name or something so that's what we're talking about here just so you know (laughs) okay you are right so keep going so those bags so you you said they're made of acrylic which originally they all were all the bags we made were out of acrylic and I think that's also part of the origin story because in the 50s when these bags were made, this use of plastics in this post-war period is like, it's this very innovative material and it's used in areas as disparate as from fashion to space exploration. So it's this really yeah. cool time and I love that period and I love it in design, I love it in fashion and I just, I wanted to pay homage to that period as well when launching the brand. That's so cool. And you made a really interesting point, which I didn't really realize till you said it, but a lot of the handbag giants that we think about are really known for their day bags, like the Birkin bag or, you know, the classic tote yeah. from Goyard or, you know, these are all daytime bags and they're not that many really iconic bags that you can think of. Even the Chanel um, quilted pattern. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of that more as like a brunch lunch type of bag, totally. not a nighttime bag. I agree. And I think, look, I mean, I don't carry that much anymore. Everything is on our phone. Our credit cards are on our phone. Everything we yeah. use is on our phone. So for me, there's not that much that I need. I don't need, I mean, I like a Birkin. I can't, they're too heavy for me, <laughs> but I can't even fill it. I can't even fathom what I would want to carry. You just have to put your laptop in there. Yes. I don't carry a laptop, do you? Oh, really? No. Yeah, I do. No, I keep I it do. in my office and I have one at home. Oh. I have a back thing. I have my shoulders get tight. That's I need a travel bag. Okay, so on that topic, tell us the five essential items that are always in your handbag. A phone, obviously. Okay. I, I'm a fan of black eyeliner, even though I'm not wearing any currently, but I always have an eyeliner in for touch-ups, um, a lip gloss, some form of breath freshener, whether it's a mint or gum, and a tissue. I like that. That's a really solid list. It's, I mean, it doesn't change. <laughs> That's really great. Um, okay, so 
I know that when you launched Edie Parker, you had a lot of inroads into fashion and PR, but it was still a brand new brand. So mm -hmm. how did you take it from being an infant into being a big grown-up brand? I mean, I think it's like a teenager. I don't think it's a big grown-up brand yet. It's still in, it's in a growth stage. But um, as I said, I think we had a product that was unique. So sure, I had the phone numbers of people to call who worked at Barney's, who worked at Vogue, who were addressing people for the Met. But I had to have something to say. And luckily, I had something interesting to say. And I showed, you know, I remember I did a desk site at Vogue. And the accessory editor at the time said, you know, if these are good, if when, when I called her to say, can I come show you something? And she said, if it's good, I'll go get the features editor. And so it's like just everything was like waiting to see how people would respond. And I just got lucky. She liked it. She got the features editor. The features editor said, okay, we're going to cover it. We'll write something. Um, I just happened to, I don't even remember who dressed Kate Hudson that year at the Met, but she just happened to need a nude clutch at the last minute that I had one. So it was just a series of lucky events, which I think most people would agree you need to have to work really hard, but also to have luck. And I think a few lucky breaks just got a little momentum for me, and that's how it started. That's so awesome and inspiring. So what advice would you give to somebody who has a great idea in fashion or really any other field, and they don't have quite as many inroads? Like, how would you suggest that someone with um, fewer connections and fewer phone numbers in their Rolodex... Do we even have Rolodexes anymore? I, I don't. <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone knows what a Rolodex is, but so what would, what would be your advice for somebody who has a little bit less in terms of inroads? Well, I think in a weird way, it's easier for people now if you have a good product in whatever the category is, because everybody is accessible now. I mean, with social media, with Instagram particularly, I am struck by how if there's someone that I think is interesting, I can DM them and they will write me back more for the most Isn't part. Isn't that amazing? Shocking. Shocking. Yeah. Let's talk for a second about Instagram and social media. How yeah. has that impacted Edie Parker as a brand? So it's really been a blessing and a curse. And I think you have the most amazing Instagram. I actually think your Instagram is, is affecting my work negatively because I'm constantly <laughs> looking at it during the day. I can't even get work done. I want to see who's done what. I want to see what I need. Um, but for us, it's been amazing because obviously you control your brand image. I mean, you control what you want the world to see about you. You control your tone of voice. The, the images are beautiful. But we've had a lot of problems with copycats and oh. a picture, you know, our, we're very proud of our process and we're all handmade in America and we pour the acrylic in this really beautiful way and it's a, this very artisanal product and we can talk more about it, but our bags are made very much the same way the bags were made in the 50s. But there are ways to manufacture in plastic that are very different than how we do and you pump through an injection mold and the quality is not the same and the feel is not the same. I mean, I've ordered a lot of these copycats and they don't feel the same at all, but in a photo, they can look misleading. And so that's been a little bit of a challenge that, you know, you, you pour everything into this brand and, and work so hard to make a unique product and someone can copy you and put it up on Instagram and say, Oh, look, I made this bag with someone's name on it. And it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. And that's really interesting because in fashion, if I understand this correctly, the rules regarding copyright and intellectual property are very amorphous where I mean, I know, and I feel like a lot of people know that that's your design and that's your baby and brainchild, but there's no official legal way to put a stamp on it and prevent someone else from knocking off an acrylic bag and writing somebody else's name on it and saying that it's there. So tell us a little bit about that. I think that's one of the worst parts of fashion. I mean, look, 
I don't want to say that I was not inspired by bags in the 50s and 60s. I'm very open about that. And why, right. you know, but I've put my own stamp on it and made it mine. And anything that I've been, been um, inspired by is something that's not being made anymore. I think the fact that people and, and some other female-founded brands will just see something that's for sale now and make a less expensive version is so terrible. And... I think the only, I mean, it's... it's what can be done about nothing, that? Nothing. Nothing. We spent a lot of money trying to protect our brand. It's very yeah. hard to prove. You know, there are these famous cases. The only thing you can really prove is trade dress because you can't really trademark designs and shapes and all these things and garments. Um, so you can prove trade dress, which is difficult. We've had some success. Um, but basically, if someone is really intentionally confusing the market... I think you have an okay chance of, of proving an, infra an, an infraction, is that the word? Um, but otherwise, it's, it's very challenging. And for young brands especially that don't have the money to go after all these offenders, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I have experienced that a little bit with some things related to skincare where um, I was talking with um, a young woman in my office uh, last week, actually, and she was telling me about a company that is making a hyaluronic serum for like $10. And I'm like, that can't be a medical grade hyaluronic serum. The manufacturing process behind that is so much more involved if you're going to make something that's medical grade and effective. And I think that it's kind of the same thing where if you see an acrylic bag in a beautiful iPhone photo in portrait mode with a cute person holding it and some cute flowers and stuff, it sort of looks like your bag, sure. but it's not the same thing. Look, I got good advice once. There, you know, Domenico De Sole is Tom Ford's yeah. partner, and I worked for him at Gucci. And he's like, he's not my mentor because he barely knows me, but I love him. Um, <laughs> but he gave me advice once, which was anything that's popular is going to be copied. And so, the only thing that I can say is you just have to keep innovating. And that's kind of what I came to when I when I fought all these people and I was spending a lot of money on legal. And then I just said, you know what? I'm just going to keep innovating. I'm going to make these bags better. I'm going to make the font better. I'm going to make everything better. And I'm going to just focus on the creative and the innovation so that people just have to keep catching up. Yeah. And I think that you've made such a name for yourself as a first mover. So, you know, on that note, what do you have in store for Edie Parker? Tell us about the new innovations. Um, well, the new innovations are really just growing the breadth of product. We've launched so many new handbag styles. Um, we're doing a lot more fabrications. We don't just work in acrylic now. We're working in lots of new materials. We launched a home collection that we're expanding. We launched a jewelry collection. We're going to launch eyewear soon. So we really want to be a destination for any accessory you can possibly imagine. And maybe ready to wear down the line. I think we have a really specific and really optimistic sort of irreverent aesthetic. And I think when I talk about, you know, you don't want to flood the market with things that exist. So when I think about the categories we're entering into and I do market research, it doesn't really exist in the way that we do it. So I am looking forward to it. I think that's going to be so exciting. Thank you. I can't wait to enter E.D. Parker world. It's going to be good. Please come. <laughs> I will. Um, so, you know, it's, it's easy to talk about all of this stuff from a really successful point of view mm -hmm. where you are right now, but... Can you tell us a little bit about some times in your path on the road to getting here when you didn't have this level of optimism, when you thought that maybe this wasn't going to work out, you hit a major roadblock, you maybe wanted to quit, or someone was telling you you weren't going to be able to do this? Sure. And I will also speak to where we are now. It looks great because we have a store and we have some brand recognition, but it's still very challenged. And as most people know, it's a very challenging time in retail. 
Um, we're very wholesale dependent. We have a lot of partners like Lima Marcus and Saks Fifth Avenue, and they're very challenged. So as much as I'm very optimistic because it's my nature and I really believe in what we're doing, we have a lot of humps to get over before we get there. So I can say I have this universe that I'd like you to come to and visit, but it's it's not built yet. It's you know I'm in a field of dreams. I'm building it. But if you build it, they will come, right? I hope. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, the world changes. Yeah. The world moves fast, and and I hope that people will still be interested. But there's like a shiny new pretty thing every day. So I think it's it's daunting. It's challenging. Um, I think there are a lot of people who don't care about evening and don't care about dressing up anymore and don't want a new bag and people want new things and they want experiences and they want Botox and who knows, you know, I, so I think I'm feel the challenges every day, but I, I really still believe, I think it's very simple. If you make something really beautiful and innovative and, and, and of a superior quality, then there's still going to be an audience for it. Were there any moments when you thought about giving up? No, because you know, I mean, you're a boss, I'm a boss, and I take that responsibility very seriously. So yeah. I think people probably, because I've been in this office a few times, <laughs> and the women who work here are amazing, and they seem to all really love you. And I think in my office, it's the same. I don't think there's a lot of people that are there because they need a paycheck. I think that the people that work with me believe in what we're doing, and they come to work every day wanting to make it better. And so even when I'm having tough days, I'm never like, no, I don't want to do this anymore, or this isn't going to work. I'm going to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, I think that's really amazing. Um, now, I have a f- couple of more fun questions for okay. you. Um, can you tell me about the name Edie Parker and I what can. the story behind the name is? It's very confusing for people because my name <laughs> is Brett, as you said. Um, Edie Parker Heyman is my eight-year-old daughter. and How um, awesome is it going to be, by the way, when she's like 20 years old and she has a fashion empire with her name on it? Maybe. First of all, my sons hate me for it, and (laughs) I hope that it's awesome for her. I hope she's not mad. I kind of took her name without asking. But basically, I conceived of the brand while I was on maternity leave, and I really just started thinking about wanting to do something more creative and wanted to do something that was my own. And you've had several children, so you know that naming them takes a long time it yeah. requires a lot of thought so I had just named my daughter and I had started working on this business and I thought I can't do this again so <laughs> I'm just gonna use that and um, I did a really good job with this one name I have to get a little more mileage every out. kid I have that was gonna be Edie I just can only do it once but um so I thought it was a great name obviously but I also loved that it had this kind of retro feel and was evocative of these kind of stylish Edies throughout history like Edie Bouvier um, Beale and Edie Parker Kerouac and Edie Sedgwick. So I thought it worked. And how about your other children? Do they have anything named after them? They don't, but they have great names. My sons are Oscar and Teddy. So I feel like if there's ever a a diffusion line or a men's line, I'll use them. Okay, perfect. Um, What is the craziest thing that someone's asked to have inscribed on a bag? I get this question a lot, and I have to tell you, it's hard to pick one because people go nuts. Um, I think some of my favorites, and they're opposite ends of the spectrum, but we've had someone order divorced, and then <laughs> opposite, we've had someone put their phone number on a bag. So, That's so after, funny. Yes, when she went out, it was on the bar, or she used it. I mean, it's so individual what people do, and they're just, there's like no shame. I love it. I feel like it's a really good exercise. I think everyone who's listening should think about what they want on their Edie Parker bag. Yes, right? I agree. It's like what you used to do with your stage name. Like, what would your stage <laughs> name be? What would you personalize your clutch with? 
Yeah. I've been thinking about that like every day for the past month, just so you know. I can't wait for you to decide. <laughs> okay, I'm almost there. Um, what is your favorite trend in fashion these days, aside from mid-century acrylic bags? Um, gosh, that's not even a favorite. That's just, that's a classic. Um, I'll tell you what I don't love, which I realize is not your question, but I'm really not into spandex and sweats. I don't love... Oh, the whole athleisure goes public? not into athleisure. It's just, I don't understand it. I don't really even think it's comfortable. I find spandex painful. When I work out, I wear sweatpants or something loose, but then I change my clothes. Um, I think I love this kind of feminine pretty look that some people are doing. My friend Wes is um, designing for Carolina Herrera, and they really want to make women look pretty, which I think like is not always, like, I never, look at me, I look homeless, but I think this idea of making pretty clothes. Wait, brief interlude for our podcast listeners. (laughs) Brett is this statuesque, gorgeous, Thin, tall, blonde, who looks like a million bucks today. So just disregard most of what she's nice. saying. I'm in a baggy sweater, and <laughs> I'm not a real blonde, and my nose is running. So if you want an accurate visual, that's what I look like. Um, okay. So, but any particular trends that you sort of have your eye on? Just the, the idea of femininity and prettiness? I think that's a nice trend. It is, but I have to say, now that I even say it out loud, I'm very into this idea of tension, like things that are sort of you know, contradictory in terms. So I like feminine, but I would never wear feminine. I would wear it with something androgynous, you know, like, so I like, I don't know. I like that too. I think I I don't even know trends in fashion anymore. I think anything is available anytime. Yeah. Right. I I guess that's part of New York city culture and online shopping and the internet. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of New York city, what are three classic must have items for a night out? Saturday night out on the town, I mean, doing I, it up, New York City. I've been out in a while. Um, well, I no longer get carded, but I guess I would say your <laughs> identification to get a cocktail. Some money probably is helpful. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think all you need is an Uber and a smile, really. What else do you need? I like that. It's very pragmatic. I thought you were going to say some, like, you know, heels and a lip color and whatever. No, but I don't think you need that. I feel like New York is the greatest city and literally the world is your oyster here and all you need is to be able to get somewhere and be friendly. If you can't make a friend in a bar in New York, you got a problem. (laughs) Um, That is true. Also Australia. People are very friendly People are really friendly in Australia too. Um, Tell us a little bit about your Time's Up clutch. So the Time's Up clutch is one in a series of clutches that we do to just kind of lend our voice to something that's happening culturally. Um, we went to LA to do an event and I hadn't been to LA in a long time. And obviously it was during award season, which is why we went. And we just wanted to acknowledge everything that was happening and kind of be in solidarity. So we just designed a clutch that said time's up in small letters and hundred percent of proceeds for that bag went to the legal defense fund. Um, I don't know what the official name was, the time's up legal defense fund, but we also did it Last year during Fashion Week, it was like, you know, the beginning of the whole fake news storm. So we made a bag that said truth and 100% of proceeds went to the Committee to Protect Journalists. And when we launched our website, and this is something that sort of just always lives, I'm a founding board member of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. So we have a love bag that 100% of proceeds has always gone to the Parenting Center. And, you know, if you have any ideas, I'll do one for you too. I think it's really important to give back when you can. Yeah. And I think that's really nice because we all, as entrepreneurs and bosses want to be successful in our own careers, but giving back and having a little bit of a root in charity keeps you idealistic, right? It keeps you grounded. Absolutely. You have to have perspective of what's going on in the world, especially 
when you work in a business like fashion because at the end of the day, it is all, it's unnecessary. You know, there's a frivolity and it's, there's a prettiness to what we do and, and that's not what's really important. So. Right. And I feel that way about um, plastic surgery as a whole as well because it can be extremely meaningful and transformative yes. and of course there's a whole spectrum of reconstructive procedures and burns and cancer and congenital anomalies and so forth but at the same time you know in the grand scheme of things we're improving quality of life and there are a lot of people out there who are saving those lives and who are you know making it possible for us to improve quality of life with a great accessory or whatever you're here so um three pieces of advice that you would give to a young person who wanted to get their foot in the door in fashion well i think i would just say be humble i think Still, you know, when I was coming up, I had an internship every summer and nothing was above me. I wasn't, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it's the opposite. I wasn't above anything. I was the best intern. I was there first. I'd left last. I was anticipating things and I never was put out by a request. Like there was just nothing that I was too good for. And I think having a good attitude and making a good impression is still the best way to get ahead because, you know... People want to be with people who are helpful, who aren't, you know, a burden or, or annoyed by your requests. So I think just acknowledging there is a hierarchy and you are kind of the low man on the totem pole and prove yourself and work really hard. And I don't think that gives anybody a license to mistreat you. I think like, you course, know, my right. motto is be nice to everybody, but you have to work hard and, and prove yourself, pay your dues. Okay. I love it. So as a little treat for being on our podcast, we're going to gift you a product from Scientific Amazing. Beauty. So is there anything that you have your eye on that I would love to give you? I mean, I'm so excited. I would like to say to the podcast listeners, <laughs> I am a real Scientific Beauty user. This like It's a legitimate obsession. And I tell all the girls in my office every day, like, look at these lines. Don't you feel like they're different? Um, well, I don't have the lash thickener or the lip pumper so you can decide when you look at me what you feel like I need the most we can help you with those things they're both really great the eyelash growth serum is awesome your eyelashes are outrageous you have like, like a spiders on your eyes it's the I know, coolest thing but, I've ever seen but nice spiders oh, though, right? well yeah. I like a spider I don't have any arachnophobia <laughs> okay. I meant it as a compliment good yeah I took it as a compliment Obviously. yeah my eyelashes look like spiders, just in case you guys were wondering. In a good way. Um, and the lip plumper, too, you'll really like, because most lip plumpers on the market irritate your lips, and this one is sort of medical-grade plumping with niacin and hyaluronic and ceramide, so it will it actually helps your lips and makes them healthier. Amazing. Those are all my favorite ingredients. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I'm really like a scientist by now. <laughs> so now, this is Beauty Bosses, so we like to close by asking people... What does beauty mean to you? Um, that's a heavy question. It's funny. It's changing as I get older because it used to mean, it used to be a really physical thing. I'll be honest. It used to be clear skin, fitting into my jeans, washed hair. But now it's a lot about how I feel. I mean, feeling rested makes me feel beautiful, but having confidence, smiling, a lot of that inner beauty stuff is coming out. Yeah, I feel like beauty is such a democratic process that when you're young, it's sort of the luck of birth. Yeah. But as you get older, you earn it and you deserve it. I think that's right. It's kind of cool. I think it's right. I will say my father gave me advice when I was younger, and I never think about it, but I'm thinking about it now. He always said, 
when you walk into a room, you should always smile because people are always attracted to someone smiling and not in a you know a sexual way. It's just like you want to be talking to someone or engage with someone who seems approachable or kind. And I think that's a lot of beauty. Like you can be beautiful and pouty in a corner, but I wouldn't want to talk to you. Yeah, I like that. And then finally, what does being a boss mean to you? Um, what does being a boss mean to me? I think, you know, we touched on it a little bit, just taking seriously the responsibility of people who are on your path. You know, someone who believes in your mission and treating them with dignity and respect and kindness and, um, and, and setting a good example. I love it. Well, thank you so much thank for you. being here. I'm sad here. it's over. It I know, this was so about. fun. I feel so like we should fun. keep going. <laughs> you know, I'm devastated. I don't want to go home. <laughs> okay, just there. stay. Stay. <laughs> um, but thank you again. Thank you. And I can't wait to see all of the exciting things that Edie Parker has in store. If anyone has any ideas what I should put on my Edie Parker clutch, please message me because this is a major priority for me. I also, not to confuse you, but we now personalize on both sides. Oh, so that can, is very confusing. I know, I know, you give people too many options. It is confusing, but you can say two things. <laughs> okay, I, this, this changes everything know, for me. I know, I'm really excited. Um, and thank you so much. We're gonna keep our eyes out on Edie Parker at the Lifestyle brand thank coming you. soon. And, and all I'll the come back when things. my eyelashes look like spiders. So that we can <laughs> okay. Work.